the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you before, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm a master of the laws of taxation law, and that includes uh, instruction on wills, trusts, and estates, and the implications of taxing thereof. And I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property law. And that basis, again, is I have a background in technology, so always interested in privacy issues, I'm also interested in how technology is used uh, in today's world and whether um, entities are carefully protecting the intellectual property of the individuals that produce it. So copyrights and, and, and patents and the like. Now, both of my great master's degrees in law were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in the beautiful city of San Francisco. Now, because of my training, my experiences, and my lifelong interest in business and finance and economics and wealth creation and wealth transfer and the roles, these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me. I primarily practice bankruptcy law, but I also do debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And as I've shared with you before, I'm proud to say that as part of my practice, I'm sometimes able Uh, to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the targets and unfortunately more and more the victims of the very pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that's running rampant in our society today. Now, I'm coming to you again from my continued voluntary lockdown from my makeshift studios in my home in another great world-class city, that is to say the beautiful city of Oakland, California, And I'm still in lockdown, although a lot of folks out there running around, you know, herd immunity is 70 to 85 percent of us being vaccinated. And that hasn't come yet. So I just want to throw that word of caution out there. And that's why I'm continuing my voluntary lockdown, although I'm not a prisoner here in my home. But I just want to stress that people really need to be careful now because we're almost at the end, but you don't want to jump the gun. So I'm coming to you to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, 
families and small business owners. Uh, however, I must once again to ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an general outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help if you're having a legal issue dealing with your finances and or your assets. And as I'm known for saying, I do this because I believe that representing yourself in a legal matter, any legal matter, but especially one that deals with your assets, your financial assets, and I say this for lawyers too, uh, it's just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. And if you're lucky you're a- and your adversary is napping, which they will not be, you might be able to sneak up on her and get real close. And you can scratch her on the arm, even poke her in the eye with your butter knife. But more than likely, you're the one that's going to be dead on arrival. And I'm not talking violence. I'm talking figuratively here. That is to say your valid claims and or your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. And this because if you represent yourself, the judge has to be the arbiter. He cannot assist you in representing yourself. So if you're represented by yourself and the other side is represented by counsel, and believe you me, if the issue is something about money, the other side, especially if you're a small business owner or a family, the other side is going to be represented by counsel. And guess what? If there's a contract dealing with the debt, there's a clause in there that says, the attorney's fees is going to be paid by the loser. So more than likely, you're going to be the loser. So you're going to have to pay some part or all of the attorney's fees for the other side. And since you know that anyway, why don't you spend some money hiring an attorney to represent you? Because if you have a sharp attorney who can figure things out, the other side will end up paying your attorney's fees. So, you know, some people ask me why I keep saying that. It's not only that you're going to be uh, behind the eight ball, you're going to end up paying the other party's uh, attorney's fees. So let's move on. So once again, I come to you and I have to share with you the reason why I even have this show is I want to discuss the law and more pro- and your money, and as I say, more probably than not in these trying times, the lack of money and what that means to your overall finances and things that you need to consider to protect yourself and or your family and or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in a non-threatening educational form. Well, today we're going to continue our focus on the other key player in a bankruptcy case who is also protected by the United States Constitution. That is to say, a debtor's creditor or creditors. Now, creditors of various classes are the individual and business entities to whom a debtor in a bankruptcy case owes money or some form of equity, or something else of value, and who, as a result of the debtor defaulting on the debt, initially outside of bankruptcy, you default on the debt, 
and uh, your obligations. And so the creditor, who sometimes is a service creditor, a supply creditor, where it might be the debtor's landlord or any other kind of service provider, including uh, the utilities companies, including uh, telephone companies. And ultimately, what these creditors want is to simply get repaid. So um, what are the bases of the protection of creditors in a bankruptcy case? Now, we've talked about how Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution makes uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcy throughout the United States. And that is the basis of most debtors' rights to be in a bankruptcy and try to reorganize their debt or liquidate their debt and get a fresh start and move on. So, however, the Constitution is a pretty big and robust document. And so, this power under Article 1, Section 8, it's like the other great substantive powers granted to Congress. It's subject to the Fifth Amendment, specifically the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment, which prohibits the taking of private property without just compensation. And as stated in a famous Supreme Court case, Um, that I'm going to paraphrase a bit here. The Fifth Amendment commands that however great the nation's need, private property shall not be thus taken even for a wholly public use without just compensation. If the party's interest requires and permits the taking of property of individual mortgagees, that is to say bankers or other um, credit providers, in order to relieve the necessity of an individual mortgagor, that is to say a borrower, resort must be had to preceding such as an eminent domain. That's a perfect example of how um, government can take over a person's land to build a road or a dam. However, if in this case of bankruptcy or an eminent domain, taxation is the basis for repaying or providing just compensation to the individual who has to give up his property. So likewise, The Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment and the Fifth Amendment also serves to protect secured creditors in a bankruptcy proceeding. And uh, I'm not going to sit up here and read cases to you, but there's a famous case called Wright versus Union Central Life Insurance Company way back in 1938. And it stands for the proposition that property rights do not gain an absolute inviolability in the bankruptcy court because created and protected by state laws. Most property rights are so created and protected by state law. But if Congress is acting within its bankruptcy power, it may authorize the bankruptcy court 
to affect these property rights, provided the limitation of due process is observed. Uh, Furthermore, Congress itself acknowledged this Fifth Amendment limitation when it enacted the adequate protection provision of the Bankruptcy Code to require compensation for the restriction on secured creditors' rights when the debtor is in bankruptcy and the creditor's rights is, uh, property is used as collateral. So when we come back, we can continue our discussion of today's topic, one that many of you have asked me to discuss. Again, how does the bankruptcy court and the bankruptcy process work for creditors and how does it protect the creditor's rights? But first, we're going to take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of today's topic, Bankruptcy 101 and how the Bankruptcy Court protects creditors' rights. Now, before we took the break, I discussed how the Fifth Amendment is one of the Constitution's protections for creditors' rights in the bankruptcy process. The other great protector of creditors' rights again, I mentioned it briefly, is the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. Now, Section 1 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, otherwise known as the Due Process Clause, provides that, among other things, no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. The Supreme Court has stated that, at a minimum, the words of the Due Process Clause require that deprivation of life, liberty, or property by adjudication be preceded by notice and opportunity for a hearing. This is crucial. That's why a debtor in a bankruptcy has to list all of her creditors on the appropriate document in the bankruptcy case petition. So as in where I primarily practice, the Northern District of California, The debtor puts that in her initial filing and the bankruptcy court sends out notice so that the creditors will know about the bankruptcy. And if there's something hinky, and again, hinky is a highly technical term, is was there something hinky about the way uh, the debtor obtained the credit? Did she lie on a bank application? Did she use undue influence on uh, the creditor to obtain the debt? So that notice is not done through um, uh, the debtor or her lawyer who might say, well, I'm not going to let Joe Blow know because Joe Blow knows about my bankruptcy. He might come in and you know upset the apple cart. No, that's why in the Northern District of California, the debtor has to list all of her creditors, all of her unsecured creditors, all of her secured creditors, uh, and landlords, executory contracts. That has to be listed so the court will send out that notice. And that's part of the fee that a debtor pays to file a a, a bankruptcy is for the postage that goes out to let all of her creditors know. And why? Because it might just be that this is a no asset case and the creditor will not be able to get any kind of a dividend or distribution in from uh, the bankruptcy case before his or her debt 
the creditors, um, um, uh, um, the debt that's owed to her is discharged. However, if it's a situation where one of these hinky things that I mentioned about the uh, uh, obtaining the credit, such as lying on a bank application or using undue influence to get a loan, those kinds of debts can be determined to be non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. That is a protection for the creditor who was taken advantage of. But the creditor has to know about it because things in bankruptcy happen very swiftly and there's a time limit for that uh, creditor to file a lawsuit inside of the bankruptcy asking the court to determine that the debt should be non-dischargeable. Now, some debts are non-dischargeable anyway. That is to say, if a person um, has a, uh, a, an obligation to take care of his or her former spouse or his or her children, and there's a domestic support uh, uh, obligation on order, that um, is not dischargeable in, in bankruptcy. So that has to be paid. But there's other kinds of debt where the, the creditor has to file an action in the case and the only way the creditor will know about that and be able to get due process is if he or she receives a notice. And that's a protection afforded by our Constitution that is manifest in the bankruptcy court. Now, the concept of notice in a hearing is enshrined in the bankruptcy code. The bankruptcy court requires a debtor and other parties in interest to provide ample notice before taking action that could affect the creditor, the, the, the creditor party's due process right. So the Fifth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment provide the basis for a creditor's protection in bankruptcy. Um, but how are these protections actually manifest in a case? How does a creditor get paid in a debtor's bankruptcy case? Well, the creditor gets paid, if at all, depending on the class of creditors on which the creditor falls. And they get paid depending on the viability and the value of the assets that the debtor brings into her bankruptcy estate. Now, there's a public policy hierarchical pecking order in the bankruptcy code and case law that dictates the priority in which a particular class of creditors gets paid, if at all. And this pecking order is Congress's proxy for how much a creditor gets repaid, if at all, in a debtor's particular bankruptcy. Now, first position is sometimes not even realized by creditors class. The true first position are individuals and entities that hold administrative claims against the debtor and her bankruptcy estate. So who are these administrative claimants? Well, they are the court appointed parties that tend to make the whole bankruptcy process work. They are the various flavors of court-appointed trustees and their court-appointed professionals, such as lawyers and real estate appraisals, and people like me, for the most part, because I represent debtors for the most part, debtors counsel, like me. I remember the, I told one of my friends, who was also a lawyer, why uh, I was going to be filing a case. And he wanted to know, so why the hell would you want, would you want to represent 
a broke client? Well, <laughs> it's because um, the individuals that make the bankruptcy process work, they are administrative claimants. And so if there's any money, any asset, anything of value in the debtor's bankruptcy estate, it's distributed first to administrative claimants, again, trustees, court-appointed parties, and their uh, professionals, and the debtor's counsel. Now, sometimes we're able to get a fee, a retainer before we file, and but all of that has to be disclosed to the court, and the court has to approve our fees. So that's a protection for the debtor uh, and for the, all, all the parties to make sure that an attorney is not gouging uh, her client and also making sure that the administrative funds are not being um, just uh, depleted without good reason. Okay. And again, this is because the entire bankruptcy process must be transparent. Now, in second position, after the administrative class are the debtors secured creditors, such as entities holding notes and deeds of trust and forms of liens and UCC filings and um, uh, liens or levies from uh, taxing authorities and uh, people that own uh, uh, blue uh, pink slips on the debtors' automobiles and the like, and in some instances, uh, executory contracts that have backup provisions or security interests, such as commercial leases on uh, 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 real property that a debtor. Uh, might be leasing to run his or her restaurant or, or grocery store. So unless there's some kind of kind of special twist or turn about secured creditors, they will get paid um, even after the bankruptcy case uh, is over with, unless the debtor is able to strip down or cram down the value of what is owed to the creditor because of the value of the asset. That's uh, uh, something that's pretty exciting in bankruptcy. If you bought a property uh, for $500,000, but when you file the bankruptcy, the property is only worth $250,000, you can cram it down to that lesser amount and the debtor can pay that. And so the creditor would eat that uh, uh, $250,000 because of the depreciation in value. But for the most part, unless there's something going on, a secured creditor keeps his or her lien her security interest, and she must be paid even after the process. What might happen if the debtor is behind in her, uh, uh, say, mortgage arrears, the debtor can use the bankruptcy process to catch up on the arrears. And at the end of the bankruptcy case, um, basically reinstate the loan at, at, as being current going forward. Now, another class of creditors in third position are the general unsecured creditors, such as family friends or relatives or credit card companies whom the debtor borrowed money and the repayment obligation isn't manifest. Uh, it, it, there's a contract that might be oral or written, but there's no security interest. And so there's uh, these class of creditors are the ones that generally take some short in the deal. They take a, a, a small haircut, but sometimes they take a, a beer, very large haircut and they might not get paid anything at all. Uh, but again, there's a special class of unsecured creditors who have to be paid domestic support obligations, new uh, taxes. Now, these are called priority creditors. So they get paid, notwithstanding the fact that there's no security interest. 
Okay. And uh, uh, there's something unique about the Internal Revenue Service or other taxing authority. They could be a secured creditor. They could be an unsecured creditor, and they might be a priority creditor for different amounts of the taxes, depending on how long ago the tax obligation became firm uh, um, in the eyes of the taxing authority. Now, uh, please note that a creditor that commences a debtor-credit relationship as an unsecured creditor, he might eat smoke and that's because the creditor is in a, a, a position to know who he or she is lending to. And if he decides to lend money uh, to somebody who is not credit worthy, that's why he might not get paid anything. So uh, I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always, in closing here at Selwyn's Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws of bankruptcy and their dual roles of balancing the competing rights of debtors and creditors in bankruptcy. So till next time, wishing you a very happy Easter and please take care, stay safe, keep your social distance masked up, wash your hands. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.